Well, good morning, church. As you might have uh, surmised this week as you drove down 410 and looked in the wayside parking lot and saw massive inflatables and a rock climbing wall that something uh, unique was going on here. And it was. We had Pine Cove Camp in the City with us this week. And camp was in full effect ministering to 170 of our elementary aged boys and girls and it was just a phenomenal week. And I'm, I'm really actually sad they're gone, not only because my, my oldest son Elijah got to experience it for the first time and had an amazing week, but I also got to wear my Camp in the City t-shirt to work six days in a row, just simplifying my life in a big way. And uh, so I'm going to miss that. But in all seriousness, it was just a tremendous week and a great blessing for us here at Wayside to partner with Pine Cove for the sixth year in a row. It's also been a a great blessing and privilege getting to hear from the different guys on staff during our summer series on the book of Proverbs, this ancient book of wisdom that's fit for the modern day world. And if you've been with us during the course of the series, you know that typically here at Wayside, we work through a book kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But when it comes to the book of Proverbs, it's a little bit better to look at it in a more topical sense. We've been taking out different topics that the book of Proverbs speaks to and have been teaching on that. And this morning, I want to continue that theme by looking at the topic of friendship. And I want to focus on friendship for a couple of reasons. First of all, The reality is that we all desire, all of us here desire deep, meaningful friendships. I mean, I was reminded of it again this week at Pine Cove here on our campus and how these kids were longing to be known and longing to be loved and longing to connect. And the reality is we never outgrow that longing. We never outgrow this desire for deep Connection. It's something that is not just true of Christians, but it's true of humanity in general. The great church father Augustine spoke to this. He said, without friends, no one would choose to live, though they had all other goods. And he's exactly right. We all desire deep friendships, and that desire is wired into us. It's hardwired into our DNA as humans. And the reason we are wired this way is because we are created in the image of a relational God. A God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Trinity. And so at the very heart of who God is, is deep, deep friendship. And this relational aspect of God is on display every day by the fact that we exist. That God chose to create As Acts 17 tells us, the God who needed nothing freely chose by grace to create everything and then has invited that creation into a relationship with himself. And that is the handiwork of a God who is deeply relational. And so whether you are introverted or extroverted, it really doesn't matter. You are a relational being. Created for friendship, first of all, with God in a vertical sense, and then with one another in a horizontal sense. And that is by design. And so that's kind of the first reason I want to discuss friendship. Secondly, friendship is worth discussing because it is an essential component of the mission of God. Friendship is oftentimes the soil by which the seeds of faith are planted and watered. 
Christian study after study by organizations like Barna and the like continually point to the fact that the number one cause for people to turn to Christianity, the number one vehicle that God uses to bring about conversion is a relationship. It's a friendship with an authentic believer. And so unsurprisingly, the bulk of ministry, whether it be evangelism or discipleship, happens in the context of a relationship, or more specifically, the context of a friendship. And Jesus himself modeled this. As you think about Jesus and his life on earth and his model of ministry, it was deeply, deeply relational. Whether it was the inner three of James and John and Peter or the 12 apostles that he poured into or the 72 that he sent out or his faithful uh, group of women who were with him throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus often ministered through the context of friendship. So growing in wisdom in regards to friendship is not only key for personal fulfillment, but it's key to fulfilling the Great Commission. And thus is a topic of great importance. And so with that being said, kind of about the the necessity of friendship, I now want to pivot and talk about the nature of true friendship. What is the nature of true friendship, especially according to the book of Proverbs? How can we wisely live out godly friendships in this complicated modern world in which we exist? And since the book of Proverbs is not like Proverbs 13 is friendship and Proverbs 17 is on the tongue, what I did is I went through all the different chapters of Proverbs and kind of pulled together all the nuggets of wisdom in there that speak to friendship. And what I found is they basically fell into five categories or five essential truths of true friendship. And so as we go through these this morning, what I want you to to think about is not only What kind of friendships are you engaged in? But I want to challenge you to think through what kind of friend are you? And do these describe you as a friend? And this brings us to our first truth, which is that a true friend loves at all times. A true friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17, which is really the the key text of friendship in the book of Proverbs says this. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You see, a true friend loves through the highs and lows of life, when it is easy and when it is hard. When you think about who wrote the Proverbs and who wrote this proverb, we we think about King Solomon, who I would imagine had some fireside chats with his father, King David, about the nature of friendship. And David was able to look at his son in the eye and say, let me tell you about a friendship. Let me tell you about my friend, Jonathan. See, when you think about the history of Israel, you know that in the time of the United Kingdom, Samuel anointed the first king and it was Saul. And Saul had all the potential to lead, but he lacked the conviction. But his son was marvelous. Jonathan was an amazing guy. He was courageous. He was a man of great integrity. He would have been an incredible king. And Jonathan and David, though they were different ages, they became the best of friends. And they served together under King Saul. David was the famous warrior. And Jonathan's the oldest son in line for the throne. Great integrity. And yet what happens? Because of Jonathan's father's sin, 
because of Saul's inability to follow after God, God rips the throne from Jonathan, rips the throne from Saul, and places it on David as the next king of Israel. Now, this is a development that would have destroyed most friendships right then and there. And what is remarkable is that instead of responding with jealousy or some plot to get rid of David and and, and one last attempt to grasp the throne, Jonathan says, no, that is the Lord's guy. That's the guy. And I have his back. And that's my guy. And he fights for David, he protects David, he looks out for David, and he supports God's choice of David as the next king, even though he knows what it means for him personally. He will never be the guy. He will never have the acclaim. He will never have the power. He will never have the money. He will never be king. But he supports his friend, his brother, David. You see, one of the great evidences of true friendship is when you can celebrate another's success. You can celebrate another's success even if it comes at at your expense. Even if their gain is your loss. They get the promotion instead of you. They get the relationship instead of you. They win that vacation instead of you. And you celebrate their gain because a friend loves at all times. See, Jonathan was a remarkable friend to David. And David was a remarkable friend to Jonathan. Years later, long after Jonathan was killed in a battle with his father, David comes to find out that Jonathan has a son that has survived all these years. And he's kind of been living, hiding away, and is a disabled son named Mephibosheth. Now, if you know ancient history, you know that if if it was come to pass that we were to find out that there was a grandson of the former king... You wipe that guy out. No questions asked. You eliminate the threat to their throne. But David does not wipe out Mephibosheth. David invites Mephibosheth to come live in the palace and to dine at his table for as long as he lives. That is the heart and that is the action of a true friend who loves at all times and a brother who is born for adversity. A true friend loves at all times. Secondly, true friends are truth tellers. True friends are truth tellers. True friends speak true words even when it hurts. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You see, a true friend is more interested in helping their friend than necessarily in keeping harmony with their friend. And I'm once again reminded of, of King David when we talk about this. And an encounter he had with his friend, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan shows up to David's house, as you well know, at maybe at a low point in David's spiritual life. David has seduced and slept with the beautiful and yet married Bathsheba. And he has impregnated her in the process. And then to cover it up, he says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to invite her husband Uriah home from the battlefield so that he can be intimate with his bride. And so that no one will ever know. But Uriah has too much honor. And he sleeps outside his house. He won't do it. And so David says, well, I got to go to the extreme. And he writes, uh, he sends Uriah on a death mission where Uriah is killed. 
And so this is the context in which Nathan is visiting David and he comes to him and he, and he tells David a story about a rich man and a poor man. He says, David, there was a poor man who had one lamb. And there was a rich man who had flocks and herds and a, and a traveler came to town and he stayed with the rich man. And you know what the rich man did? Instead of killing one of his many animals, he, he took the one lamb of the poor man and slaughtered it. And that's what they ate. And David's listening. His blood is boiling. He can't believe such an injustice. And he tells Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man. That man is you, David. And with those words, the the scales kind of finally fall from David's eyes and he sees his sin and the, the ugliness of his sin and it breaks him and he repents and he turns from it. And it was the faithful kiss of Nathan that led David to come to his senses. See, we often think we have to choose between telling the truth or, or keeping a friend. But the reality is that a friendship in which you cannot be truthful is not really a friendship at all, is it? It's not really a friendship at all. And we all need truth tellers in our life. Those who are not afraid to tell us what they see because we are so blinded by our own sin. I remember a few years ago, I was out at lunch with uh, some of the guys from our small group. I'd recently come on to staff at Wayside and uh, we were at lunch. We were just kind of sharing a little bit about life and what's going on. And I, be, and, and I told them, you know, things in my marriage have been tough lately. We've had some conflict and, 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 and ultimately, guys, I feel like she, Victoria is not, um, she, she has unrealistic expectations of me. And I said, you know, I'm trying to get this college and singles ministry going, so I'm really meeting with a lot of people. And I'm in seminary, and I'm really trying to be a good student, and I want to get equipped. And we had just had our second baby, and I was trying to be that present father and care for my kids. And so I'm rehashing my sob story to the guys at lunch. And I kind of expect them to go, that's tough, Mike. Hang in there, man. God bless you. You're a soldier. And uh, that's not what they said. They looked at me and they said, sounds to us like you need to love your wife better. They said, maybe she thinks your marriage is more important than a ball to be juggled or a plate that needs to be spun. Maybe she thinks she should be a little bit more important than that. And man, it, the scales fell. It pierced my heart. And I went home that night and I sat with Victoria and I just apologized. I said, sweetie, if I can't find a way to be a good pastor and a good husband, then I'm going to get out of ministry. Because it's not worth it. I can have lots of different jobs, but I only want one wife. It's not worth it. And that was a real turning point for our marriage. That was a powerful moment for our marriage. And, and, and we have actually never had a disagreement since. Um, I'm still oblivious. As a matter of fact, after the first service, I had a couple come up to me and they're like, hey, we want you to marry us. I was like, did you not listen to my sermon? But see, I needed to repent. 
And God used the faithful kisses of true friends to bring about the change that I desperately needed. And we need friends like that. Tim Keller describes those friends. He says that like a surgeon, friends cut you in order to heal you. They cut you in order to heal you. Because true friends are truth tellers. Thirdly, true friends bring you closer to God. True friends bring you closer to God. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 12, 26, The righteous is a guide to his friend, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous is a guide to his friend. See, one of the most important decisions you will make in this life is who you choose to be friends with. Who you choose to do life with because they will push you up or they will pull you down. My high school football coach, uh, Coach Robbins, he was from West Texas and he talked like this. From Crane, Texas. And every once in a while he would come in the locker room if he heard of either I was made a bad choice or one of my buddies would make a bad choice and Coach Robbins would come sit down next to me and he'd swing his legs and he'd look straight forward with his eyes squinted like this even though we were inside. And he'd say, Mikey boy. By the way, he's the only one that's allowed to call me Mikey boy. <laughs> See, coaches have a special dispensation. They can call you whatever they want. I was actually reminded about this. I, I, I coached a guy at O'Connor named Kelvin for a year. I'm saying, Kelvin, come here. Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin. And after about a year, one of his buddies comes up to me and he says, hey, coach, his name is Calvin. <laughs> so I say, Calvin, come here. And so he comes and I say, why didn't you tell me? And he goes, oh, coach, I don't care what you call me. Plus, all my friends call me Calvin now. I was like, your parents are going to hate me. But Coach Robin says, Mikey boy, you know what happens when you play with mud? And in that West Texas draw, he said, you get mud on your hands. You get mud on your hands. And all he was doing was interpreting Proverbs 13, 20, which is he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. True friends bring you closer to God. Now, I know this begs the question. If true friends bring us closer to God, what do I do with those friendships or relationships with those who do not know God as Savior? I mean, are those pointless? Do those have any value? Of course they have value. Of course they do. Hopefully all of us have friendships in here with those who are outside of our faith. That being said, there is a reality that those friendships will never have the depth or length of friendships we experience with those inside the family of God. And that sounds rough, but here's why. No matter what you share in common with that person, if there is a disagreement on who Jesus is, there will be a fundamental barrier to the depth that that friendship can go. Because our belief about God informs every other belief that we have. And so to agree to disagree when it comes to the question of God is to disagree about the fundamental question of life. And so that in in itself provides some sort of barrier to the depth of a friendship. And if you say that's not true, or if somebody says that's not true, I would say, number one, you're probably either lying, or number two, there's a lack of commitment to what you actually believe. Because there is a barrier that comes. And then in regards to length, 
You understand that we as believers, we as Christians, we believe that our friendships inside the family of God will extend into eternity. They will go beyond this present existence. This is one of the, this is the hope of the Christian. Is that those who have gone before us, we will join them. And so our friendships by the very fact of eternity are deeper and longer within the family of God. And our friendships with those outside the family of faith, unfortunately and painfully, will not continue into eternity. And that is a hard truth. But that is what the scriptures teach. And true friends speak words that are true. Now, unfortunately, some within the church say, okay, they're not deep, they're not long. And so they hit the eject button on every non-Christian friendship that they have. But that's not the answer. Because not only is that impossible, it's not biblical. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 5. We are called to engage our neighbors and our world. We are called to be salt and light. And as I mentioned earlier, the most powerful apologetic, the most consistent avenue for Christian conversion is authentic believers engaging unbelievers in a meaningful, relational way. And so with all that being said, let me, let me just say how I think this plays out practically in the life of the believer. Each one of us needs friends that points us to God. We cannot do this alone. We need friends who point us to God. Friends who share the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Friends who call on us to follow after Jesus. We all need those. Those friendships form a, a home base from which we are launched out into a world that's oftentimes antagonistic. It's one of the reasons we gather on Sundays. There's a power, there's power in coming together in community, regrouping, regathering, getting refreshed, equipped, and then sent out into the world to do ministry. Think about how Jesus trained the disciples. He would send them out, and they would minister, and they would teach, and they would heal And they would do all kinds of ministry and then they would come back and they would regroup and they would regather. And there would be a time of reflection and prayer and worship and teaching. And then they would be sent out and then they would come back. And this was the rhythm. This was the rhythm of their ministry. And it was these friendships were essential. They were essential for their spiritual health. They were essential for their success in ministry. They were essential for their personal joy. And these were not their only friendships, but they were essential friendships that continually pointed them back to the goodness of God and continually stimulated them to follow after God. Because true friends bring you closer to God. And this brings us to our our fourth point. True friends encourage. True friends encourage. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. And then Proverbs 27, verse 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. You see, I don't care who you are. The fact is we all battle loneliness. We all battle discouragement in this life because life is not easy. It's not easy. We have to say goodbye to loved ones. 
our bodies break down. Kids grow up and they go wayward. Marriages crumble. We make mistakes that we can't just pull back and get back. Diseases show up unexpectedly. There's no shortage of heartache in this world. And we are constantly in desperate need for encouragement in this world. I love the words of the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Albert Schweitzer. He says that uh, when he speaks to the power of encouragement, he says, at times our own light goes out and it's rekindled by a spark from another person. Our light goes out, but it's rekindled by a spark from another person. And as I hear that, I go directly to Paul and Timothy. Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. Life is hard. He's feeling overwhelmed. And Paul, who's in prison, writes him the last letter, 2 Timothy, which is basically one awesome pep talk to Timothy. And in chapter 1, he says, Timothy, I know of your sincere faith. I know who you are. He says, I want to remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. Because, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline. So you hang in there, Timothy. And he did. True friends encourage and find ways to rekindle the flame in those in which it is flickering. And then finally, number five, true friends are hard to come by. True friends are hard to come by. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, says, many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? I recently came across a quote. says, true friends are like diamonds, precious and rare. But fake friends are like the autumn leaves. They are found everywhere. And the reality is that true friendship, and I'm not just talking about surface-level friendship, even though that's, those are essential, or just friendly acquaintances. Those are important. But I'm talking about the true, deep friendships, the Jonathan David-type friendships. Those are hard to come by. And that can often leave us with some sense of, of disappointment. And discouragement as a result. And if you were here this morning, and, and, and that is you, and you feel that way, first of all, I want you to know that you're not alone. Many people struggle with developing deep friendships. There are often wounds from our past that we have to deal with that have not healed. There's fears that need to be overcome, especially the fear of rejection. There's insecurities and lies that we have been fed, that we have internalized without us even knowing. There's the practical constraints of time and energy. And all these things work together to make friendships difficult and oftentimes to make us averse to risk when it comes to friendship. And while there's no automatic system, you put in a quarter and out comes a great friend, there, is some, there are some practical steps that you can do to develop true friendships. And I I liken this process of developing friendship to um, standing outside in the rain. 
which I know is a terrible analogy when it's like 5,000 degrees outside. But follow me. You cannot control whether or not it rains. But you can control whether the rain lands on you when it does. And the rain will never land on you if you only stay in your house. You've got to leave your house. You've got to take that step of faith. You can't control whether God brings those deep relationships in your life, but you can control the type of friend you're going to be, one who loves at all times, one who speaks words of truth, one who points people to God, one who encourages. And you also can control whether you place yourself in situations where true friendship is more likely to arise. Places like an ABF. Maybe you have to try multiple ABS before you find your space. Taking that step and joining a life group and actually doing life with people in a more intimate way. Maybe it's going on a mission trip together. Maybe it's a service in a, or a ministry in town. Maybe it's a, it's a Bible study at work. Maybe it's a community outreach where you're at. Whatever the case may be, you've got to place yourself in position where if those friendships come, you're ready to receive them. There might be a a Jonathan David or Naomi Ruth type friendship just waiting to happen, but you miss out because you're unwilling to step out of your comfort zone. And yet stepping out of our comfort zone is exactly what we're called to do. And stepping out of his comfort zone is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus stepped out of his comfort zone of heaven and came to earth in the incarnation. And he took on flesh in order to make the greatest friendship of all, the friendship that we most desperately need the most possible, which is a friendship with God. And this friendship with God is a friendship that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a friendship that then is revealed and is displayed through us and is extended from us as we love one another. This is what Jesus speaks to in the upper room discourse when he's meeting with the disciples and he's giving them their last instruction Before he leaves. And in John 15, he talks about friendship. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And then in verse 17, he sums it up. He says, this I command you, that you love one another. You see, Jesus not only came to make friendship with God possible, he modeled what true friendship is all about. He is our perfect friend. He is our perfect friend. And I know that sounds kind of corny, But it's absolutely true. Jesus loves us at all times. As Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us when we were at our worst in complete rebellion. And he has called on us as his people to love others in a way that reflects that. That's why there's no place on earth where love should be more evident. There's no place on earth where love should be more on display than when the body of Christ gathers. It should just be beaming. It's a city on a hill. 
And that's why as one of the pastors here at Wayside, it just speaks to my heart. When I, when I talk to somebody who's part of our family, part of the body of Christ here at Wayside, or somebody who's even visited, and they say, Michael, man, we love Wayside because of how friendly it is. And we love the fact that you guys try to love one another so well. And we've experienced that. We are so thankful for the love that we've received at Wayside. I mean, that just fills my heart. And it's why on the, on the flip side, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking when we speak to those few individuals who maybe visited or came, who had the opposite experience, who no one greeted them. No one smiled at them. No one made eye contact with them. No one made an effort to, to sit with them or allow them to sit down next to them. And I know it's a big church and people fall through the cracks and it can be hard, but we cannot forget who God has called us to be. We can never lose sight of who we are. One of my favorite lines about the early church was said by a, a pagan Roman who when he was describing the church and he said they love one another before they know one another. They love one another before they know one another. May we be a church that loves one another before we know one another and, and even after, right? Even after we know one another. Which sometimes is harder. But in doing so, would we display that love and be such a fragrant aroma that others would be drawn in and come to experience the greatest love of all, which is the love of God. You see, Jesus loved at all times. He was also the ultimate truth teller. Jesus did not sugarcoat things, did he? He spoke straight to the heart of an issue. Rich young ruler, straight to the heart. Zacchaeus, straight to the heart. Nicodemus, straight to the heart. As a matter of fact, in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was the ultimate truth teller. Jesus pointed people to God. Think of how John describes Jesus in, in, in chapter 1, verse 18. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's at the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus has explained who God is. As the word who was with God and the word who was God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus pointed people to God. And then Jesus was the ultimate encourager. He spoke life into people. He was compassionate with the poor. He was a friend of sinners, a friend to the friendless. And his greatest encouragement was the cross and then the empty tomb where he defeated death and defeated sin now and forevermore. Finally, while we mention the reality that true friends are hard to come by, the reality is that friends like Jesus are impossible to come by. Impossible. Because there's only one. There's only one God-man. There's only one mediator between God and man. There's only one who can offer eternal life. There's only one who can die for sin. There's only one who can bring about that forgiveness. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's only one friend like Jesus because there has never been nor ever will be anyone like Jesus. And I love the, the words of the early church as they gathered. And they said, we need to put pen to paper about the uniqueness and the beauty of our Savior. 
And so 17 centuries ago, they penned what was known, what is known as the Nicene Creed. And if you grew up in a high church, you've said it before. And if you haven't, you're going to get to read it today. And this is what they wrote. Your brothers, your brothers, your fellow family members 1,700 years ago, and this is what they said about our Savior. They said, we believe in one Lord, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father through whom all things were made. For us in our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was incarnate, became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come in glory. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. There is no one like Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, whom all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is that we get to carry everything to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in all the humility that we can conjure up as we are the creation praying to our Creator. We are the creation communicating to our Creator. And God, we thank you for every breath that we live and that it's a result of your grace. A God who is relational. A God who chose to create and to bring life to this world. A God who invited us in. Invited us into this relationship with him. Even after our rebellion. Because the fact is, God, we have all rebelled. And no matter how hard we try, as the scriptures say, no one is without sin. No one follows after God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet our rebellion still couldn't build a wall high enough to overtake you. And so you left your comfort zone. God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. You entered into time and space. You took on flesh. You lived a perfect life. And you willingly went to the cross where you died for our sins. And you were buried according to the scriptures. And yet three days later, you conquered death. You conquered sin as you rose from the grave. And you offer up the greatest friendship of all. One that is beyond our comprehension. One that involves mystery and wonder and worship and praise. You offer us a friendship with you, God, by the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that you say, all who will believe in me, all who will place their trust in Jesus, will have their sin removed as far as the east is from the west, will be clothed in righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus who died in our place and who is our advocate before God the Father. God, if there's anyone in here who's either tried to earn their way to you or they've lived their life thinking God is nothing more than some angry God who's just looking to smite us at any opportunity, God, would they see, maybe for the first time, that they are not alone. 
and that they can be known and loved to the fullest because you revealed that on the cross and that you are intimately engaged with them and with our world. And so God, we thank you that you are the greatest friend of all, one who loves at all times, one who speaks truth as thy word is true. One who knows that our greatest need can only be found in you. And so you point us to yourself. And one who every day, all the time, is our great encourager. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we lift, we lift I just lift up these prayers to you, God. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.